and welcome everybody to another episode of the world's greatest podcast. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, man. And crumble, it does cook. That it does. Just me and Jim, for now, stands joining mid-pod because we don't do this full-time. Everyone forgets. We do it out of the goodness of our heart for all you listeners. Stan's busy talking to uh, Derek Acora from Beyond the Grave. Allegedly. More on that later, maybe. Yeah, more on that lately, maybe. But we get an update from him. Yeah, maybe so. But we're going to start off at Aston Villa, Jim, because we're going to assess Steven Gerrard's performance as their manager so far. We've got a nice little two-week break. This is going to be the last pod that we do for a couple of weeks, so keep an eye out for when we're back. But, Jim, just an overall assessment of Gerrard's performance at Aston Villa so far, what do you reckon and how do you reckon he's done? Yeah, I think it's a good time to talk about him. Um, I don't think we've actually spoke about it too much, have we, since he's joined? He's had some hard fixtures. Um, I know he's played... He's played all he's played. He's played Chelsea, Liverpool, um, Leicester. He's had, he's had a tough horse start. And then he gets the win of the weekend against Everton, which I'm sure he very much enjoyed, um, as he used to always do as a player anyway. But yeah, I've really rated him. I think the way he conducts himself, the things he says, um, some of the changes I've seen him make mid-game and how his team have, have reacted after a maybe poor first half. But when you look at the United game last week, First half it was all United, and second half Gerard has, has has gone playing better. What Martinez has said about him um, when Martinez made that mistake for the Bruno goal already kind of speaks of volumes to me of how much impact he has as as a manager there. And I really like his career path, Cook. As in, it, when you compare him to um, like your Solskjaer's and your your Lampard's and your Rooney's and even like Skulls, Giggs, people are we, we've kind of watched growing up in our area. They're kind of our generation players, aren't they? the way he's done Liverpool under 23s and then gone to Rangers and done a really good job. And then Avila was the perfect landing spot for him. I, th- I think it was a nice time for him to get the Rangers job when he got it. Celtic were probably at the end of a cycle and they were going to do 10 in a row, but it's it's no slouch what job he's done up there. But I feel I feel like he's landed on his feet with a lot of jobs and and that's credit to him because he's he's obviously waited and he's bought, bought his time for those jobs. I think, like I said, Rangers was a nice... Nice way to dip your toe in the managerial, uh, well, in the field of managers. Uh, I think with Gary McAllister, as well as his assistant, he's got a proper experience there who's been an assistant before for many managers of many eras, and I think that helps as well. But I think Aston Villa is probably the perfect football club for him at this moment in time where he can try new ideas with his 4-3-3. He's getting a lot out of players like Jacob Ramsey, for example, who's a player who looks like he's had a new lease of life under Gerrard in that 4-3-3. But Aston Villa, lest we forget, have quite a bit of money as well. They're owned by quite a rich owner as well. So it'd be interesting to see who he brings in for Villa, having already brought in, obviously, Luca Digne, who got an assist against Everton in his old club on his debut for Villa. Yeah, I think they're putting pieces together really nicely. Um they had a really slow start to the season, which seen Dean Smith unfortunately get sacked, and it kind of looked like did not spend the Grealish money well. But since Coutinho's come in, um, one of the main guys, Emi Buendia, has just he's gone up another level. He took over both the last games against Everton United for me. He was the best player on the pitch for both. Got his goal against Everton, which is a lovely header. I mean, you shouldn't be letting players as small as Emi Buendia score headers from corners, but the less say about the the better for Everton fans, I think. Um, and I think. The DNA signing could be huge as well because what we've seen at Gerard at Rangers was James Tavernier's numbers at fullbacks, the way he was so attacking and goals assists. I think he had 14 goals, 14 assists one season or something stupid like that. It takes um, Ben's too, but yeah. But yeah, but still, though, he's, he's like a, a good attacking outlet for them. We, we, we've seen the last few years for Everton how good Luca Dine is. He's, the delivery he has and what he can do when he gets space and both games has been up and it's been bombing on um, against United he had a few shots he got the assist this one and I think they're not too many players short of a European place kind of team already and that was a team who was in the relegation zone at the start of this season um, so yeah I think everything's looking quite bright for Aston Villa to be honest yeah no it, it is and I'm just looking at the results that they've got I think it's 11 games that he's managed now 10 in the Premier League and 1 in the League Cup uh, sorry the FA Cup against Man United which they they lost but the losses that he's suffered in the Premier League have only come to the hands of Man City at home, Chelsea at home, Liverpool away. And then the only game 
that they did lose where you thought, oh God, I thought there was probably a bit of a banker there, was Brentford away. But to be honest with you, he's picked up points, like we said, in his first game against Brighton, beat Crystal Palace. So they're already beating teams there or thereabouts around them to, like you said, push them up to this European place or at least aspire to get a European place. But I think there are a couple of bodies off a, a few, well, a couple of bodies off a solid European charge, but we are going to get into who needs what a little bit later. But for me, yeah. I, I think Gerard's done really well so far. I think he needs to put his stamp on this team and maybe assess it again next January, obviously, if he's still the manager. But I feel like he needs two transfer windows now to really put his Steven Gerrard stamp on this Aston Villa team. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think too, um, to the City game, they gave a really good account of themselves against City. And it was only a 1-0 win for us, I think. Um, and the next four fixtures or so for Aston Villa, um, I'm not sure exactly what they are, but look very winnable. And after the win at Everton, that could be five in a row. I mean, no one expects teams like Villa to win five games in a row. But you wouldn't put it past him. I think confidence is there since Coutinho's coming, Dignity's coming, decided to get wins now. And what I noticed in the weekend, Everton and Villa are two teams for me who, well, the two of the oldest teams in Premier League, Everton never been relegated. I think it's the most played Premier League match in history. I think they said on match today this week. Um, but it's two teams that are in very similar positions in terms of where they want to be. Um, they've got rich owners. They can attract top players. We've seen it over the past few years. But Villa are just spending the money so much more wisely and they're investing in managers so much more wisely as well. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about managers investing, uh, sorry, clubs in, uh, investing in managers later on. But but yeah, like you said, Gerard and, and Villa, they look like a match made in heaven, really. Like they, they're basically giving in the players he wants. Luca Dini is a great signing. And the guy who was playing there prior to him, Matt Target, what an improvement that is. And Matt Target is a seven out of 10 every week as well for Villa. Like he's not shit. But he's obviously not the guy, really, that you want in there. But is a great signing. Like I said, Jacob Ramsey, John McGinn, Douglas Louise, players like that midfield three is a very good midfield three. And Ramsey genuinely is coming on leaps and bounds. But I did get the fixtures after you mentioned it. The next five are very winnable fixtures for Aston Villa. So they've got Leeds at home, Newcastle away, Watford at home, Brighton away, and then Saints at home for the next five. So realistically, Jim, there's a few places where they can get maximum points there. Yeah, definitely. They can fly right up that table. I'm not saying European places a thing of this season. Maybe the damage has already been done, but a few more signings in next summer's window and you could see Villa in a European spot again. Okay, listeners, January's nearly over. The Prem's over for the next two weeks. So I've had to get creative for the better of the week this week because I've not left you in the lurch. No, 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 no. That pig of yours is expensive and she needs treating. Or he, or they, or whatever the fuck it is these days. But anyway, moving on to the better of the week, the important shit. Fulham to beat Blackpool at three o'clock in the champ. We've had to go down to the champ, staying in the champ, Northwest, Blackburn Rovers to beat Luton. Then we're going to go to League One. Wigan Athletic to beat Cheltenham away from home. And then the Vegans, because I've, offend, I've definitely offended someone with that first statement. So the Vegans, Forest Green to cap off the better of the week. So just to recap, we've got Fulham to beat Blackpool at home, Blackburn to beat Luton away, Wigan to beat Cheltenham away, and the Vegans, Forest Green to beat Tranmere. You guessed it, away. And lads, what can we do with that information that I've just passed on to the punters? You can shove it up your act. Okay, listeners, we spoke about Chelsea being out of the title race last week, but it's all about who's actually going to stay in the Prem. So with this nice little winter break, gives us time to reflect, see who's down there. But lads, Stan specifically, there's a few teams with a few game in hand, Stan, and I'm going to start with them in Burnley. Do you think, prediction time, they will stay up? Oh, difficult one. I have to say right now, no, because I'd rather have the points on the board and they've just lost Chris Wood. And it's that thing every season with Burnley where we say, oh, they're down there around this point and they end up staying up. And then the next season we say, maybe they go down this season and they end up staying up. But I think this season, 
might just be one too many for them. Like I say, they've lost Chris Wood in, in January to fellow strugglers Newcastle, which I'm sure we'll cover. There's only a week left of the uh, transfer window. And like I say, I'd rather I'd rather be in Norwich's position who've played more games but have the points on the board and are outside of the uh, the relegation zone because I know that if Burnley um have they got six games in hand or something stupid? I'll if they you. play the the four or five or six whatever games in hand and win them all, which is unlikely, but let's say they do, they would actually go up to about twelfth. So, but I would rather, like I say, I would, I think, I think, Cook, if you're looking at the table, if Southampton played 22 and they're 12th, yeah. Burnley played 18 and they're bottom, I would much rather be in Southampton's position. Obviously, I'd rather have those points on the board than the games to be played. Um, so, yeah, Burnley are going down this season for me, Rob. Fair play, Jim. I hate to say it. We say it with a heavy heart here at the Cookie Pod, but someone's actually lost the job today. Someone who's no stranger to it. But let's tell the listeners who it is, Jim, because like I said, he is no stranger to this. Yeah, and it won't be a shock that it's um that it's Watford again. It's part of the philosophy in it to um sack a manager after three months. Yeah, madness, madness stuff. Um it's a club that probably deserves to go down the way it's round, to be honest. I mean, that sounds very harsh, obviously, but it, it is true. Um they don't back any manager, they they stay on this crazy merry-go-round of European managers who last less than a year I don't even know how many this is in the last 10 years I'm guessing it's I'm guessing it's well over 15 to be honest and that's not just a, that's not a sustainable way to run a football club it was kind of a surprise to see Ranieri join when Watford was sitting 14th I think it was at the time when the previous manager was sacked and they improved for a little bit started scoring goals but then had a bad run of, run of six games and I don't know, I think the board he thinks he's like Abramovich or something and thinks that's not good enough and gets rid straight away because he's, he's, he's a top manager with some good experience, Ranieri, and I don't know who comes in now, but they definitely need to try and change this culture um, of sacking managers of wise. They're just not going to attract anyone that's going to get them anywhere from a long-term point of view, like if you want more success that way. Um, but I was saying to you off mic... Um, I don't know who would come in at this point. If you're a young manager, you wouldn't, you're not joining Watford, are you? You have no stability there. You have no backing, up, obviously, it seems. And and yeah, Watford have been dragged right into a, a relegation scrap um, after the 3-0 loss at home to Norwich. Do you know, do you know what? I'm going to go out and say a prediction. Ben Foster, player manager. Wow. <laughs> wow. The cycling GK slash manager. Who knows now? Nah, obviously not. But we were saying earlier that they probably do need a younger person with new ideas. And like you said, they need to completely reset the club's culture because they just employ someone for a little bit. And Stan, I know you like stats, Statman Stan. So you like this one. None of the last 20 Watford managers have made it to 100 games in the dugout a run that goes back to A.D. Boothroyd in 2008, who took charge of 176. 20 so managers you can't, in 13 you can't, years. You can't expect, <laughs> you, you can't expect, um, you can't expect consistency when you, you're doing things like that. I know it works for certain clubs, clubs at the top maybe, you know, want to recycle through and, and get the odd trophy here and there. But if you're a club that's trying to consolidate and, and stay up, you need to, you know, Burnley are the blueprint for that with what they've done with Sean Dyche and, uh, I know Bournemouth end going down, but they kept Eddie Howe for years and years and they did really well to stay in the Premier League for as long as he did. So, yeah, definitely, if, if if they can change it and if they can persuade a young manager like Jim said, I think that'll be difficult, though, because you don't want that um, Watford sack on, on your uh, on your CV so early on that seems almost inevitable before you've, you've had your first game. Uh, if you can change the ways and convince, you know, a younger manager to come in and maybe promise him three, four, five seasons and some sort of project, then I think they'd be in a lot healthier a position than, than doing what they are doing now because it's not going to work. It's not worked. It's probably not going to work this season. Um, so, um, you know, change your ways, why not? Yeah, I think so as well. And I think they kept, they've almost missed the boat on the young manager because they did have Marco Silva at one point, who is a manager that I know 
stand that you've been quite wax lyrical about in the past and obviously he's doing it really well with Fulham at the moment as well so again yeah. trigger happy Watford but we'll move on we'll move from the Hornets to the Canaries because there's not a lot of Norwich chat on this pod well there has been but Norwich you've not given us a lot to really talk about lads I'll be honest but Jim nothing positive anyway yeah nothing <laughs> positive we're not going to slag you off but no Dean Smith he's obviously done a decent job Stan's said the old cliche, you'd rather have points on the board than games in hand. They've currently played 22 games. They sit 17th on 16 points. Are they going to stay up, Jim? It's going to be one hell of a job. If um, yeah. if Dean Smith keeps this Norwich side up, he should win manager of the season, undoubtedly. For me, it's just the quality that they have and what they've spent is just nothing comparable to other clubs around with them, maybe Burnley, who, again, Sean Dyche should have probably got a manager of the season in previous years, but it tends not to go that way. But on Friday night, under the lights at Vicarage Road, in a massive six-pointer, it was excellent. It was really, really good. Um, Watford have a better team and maybe with a better side for the first half, but you know, Norwich just maybe grew into the game and a few of the players are getting a bit of confidence now. Um, we seen Adam and Ida last week um, in the the win against Everton and then this week Josh Sargent with two incredible goals both very different but if you can do that either side of a 10 minute floodlight break one was one of the goals to seize and the way he improvised from a pookie cross and then afterwards I really didn't expect him to come towering in with that kind of header and yeah it's just a, ma- it's a massive massive result for Dean Smith um, and it's something that hopefully they can build on and I kind of rooted him for him to stay up now because of that big one underdog so, yeah, let's just see how it goes. Yeah, and Stan, they broke the duct. Well, we almost stuck our foot in our own mouth. They didn't win 2-1, but they won 3-0 at the weekend in a six-pointer against Watford. He was very well. close, Cork, because at 2-0, two, two goal disallowed. Oh, I didn't if even know gone, that. Yeah, if you'd have gone three goals in the game, then uh, maybe that's what we need to switch it to to leave ourselves a little bit of leeway. Norwich yeah, win three goals in the game. Yeah, and uh, and Newcastle got a big win, didn't they, Cook? I mean, just so far, Norwich is a massive six-pointer, but I guess with Leeds down there all season, you could maybe dub Newcastle 1, Leeds nil as a six-pointer. And from what I've seen, there was great value for it as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've not watched this game. It was a, it was a three o'clock, and I, I don't illegally stream games. But um, Newcastle only had 37% of the ball in this game and ended up winning 1-0, which is a bit of a surprise if you just look at the stats. But again... People just looking at stats. Newcastle were good in this game from watching the highlights. Like I said, I've only watched this on Match of the Day. I didn't watch it live. But they did look decent. And these are the teams they need to start beating in and around them for the any slither of a chance to stay up. I know we've mentioned that obviously they've got all this money and it's, it's they've not really had the pull. I think the fans thought they would. I mean, the Sankirian Trippier and maybe Jesse Lingard, but I don't think that's enough to keep them up. But they beat they beat Leeds in this game. I th- I personally think Leeds are in trouble. I personally think that they're in trouble because they've only played twenty one games. They're on twenty two points at the moment. Like we said, if if Burnley take maximum points from four games, they're on twenty four points. I mean that's very unlikely to happen, but it is obviously possible. And Leeds, every time I've watched them a season without Bamford, they look so toothless, and they just basically put everything on Rafinha. I don't know what you think, Jim. Yeah. Like- yeah, exactly that. It looks like they're trying to put balls into a box with no strikers running at the end of it or they're trying to get balls into a position where Bamford would come deep and hold it up and bit of link-up play, but they don't have that. Uh, Rodrigo hasn't really filled in and they've kind of been relying on um, the young lad from Wigan or Gelda when he's been playing, but he didn't play on the weekend. But the, the Newcastle win for me, Stan, it seemed like it was a great win because it was under the pressure after watching Norwich win and it was kind of like the Norwich win in the fact that it could be the kind of result and performance maybe that kickstarts you back end of the season and it's something you're going to want to build on. And I think one of them two teams will definitely build on it and I think one will stay up. And I think Newcastle will probably be the heavy favourites out of them too. Yeah, you think so. They've probably got the most firepower. Obviously, they've got AS, ASM in one of these days, a, a match winner. They've just brought in Chris Wood, who we know can score goals in the league. 
And yeah, it was massive, especially with those two teams below them having games in hand. Uh, you know, they really needed to win this one. And you've already mentioned Leeds are in and around them too. So uh, they want to try and get as tight to them as they possibly can. Like you say, it was already a six-pointer. And both of the two, the next two games are at home against Everton, who were struggling, and then Aston Villa come. But, you know, coming off that big away win, you know, if that St. James's Park crowd can get behind them, hopefully two more positive results and... Uh, you never know. They could be pushing up the way out of there, which, you know, when Eddie Howe came in and I think uh, they struggled in his first couple of games, you never would have given them a hope, really. Um, so, they, they'd, you know, they'll be hoping they stay up. I mean, I'm personally not. Sorry, Jamie and Robbie, you might be listening to this, but um, it would be very KBL. funny if the richest club in the world were, uh, you know, banking on Dwight Gale to fire them up into the Premier League again. I, I would enjoy that for a season. Hey, they might not get up. Well, that'd be even funnier, wouldn't it? <laughs> Straight down again. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Newcastle from the London League one. Yeah. Saudis walk out on him and Mike Ashley buys him for half the price. No, Sunderland go up and Newcastle put, go down. Put a bet on it now. Put a bet on both now. But Mike Ashley, Ashley buys Sunderland and takes him to Brem, spends all the money. Welcome, welcome fans. Welcome fans to 11 a ball the greatest time of the podcast where we're not talking about football and giving our shit opinions we're talking facts and um i've actually gone a bit a bit a bit rogue with this one today guys um we used to talk about the premier league sides but i'm actually going to visit a championship side we're doing really well we kind of maybe mentioned before we may have mentioned michael silver but fulham made second tier history in england after scoring six goals for three consecutive games winning 6-0, 6-1 and 7-2, something like that. Anyway, they scored a lot of goals. Um, and I visited back to 2011, a simpler time when we was wee nippers, when Fulham got the joint biggest win in the Premier League at home to QPR where they won 6-0. So I want to ask you, who was the Fulham side that won 6-0 against QPR in October 2011? Oh, this is going to be gonna fun. Get, I'm going to let Cook go first, though, with that little... Oh, that little it's going to be fun, this. Noise he made. Yeah. Oh, fuck. You, 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 there'll be a few of these that, that are dead hard, but you know most of these. I'm going to I'm gonna get go, the year right. I'm going to go big. Clint Dempsey? Clint Dempsey is correct. Oh, he scared me, though. He played... I'll give you a bit more info. info. Um, he scored, and he was in a 4-4-2, and Clint Dempsey was playing on the right. Oh, respect. I know he was on the last time. It's the 11-12 season. Um, Breda Hangeland. That is big because he is a big man and he did play. Breda Hangeland played at the back, obviously, centre-back. That's Cook. Big Paul. I'm trying to think of the heads that was knocking about around this era. And I think it was the one because I see people in kits and I see Fulham in the LG kit, if anyone remembers that one. It had LG on the front. And I see Danny Murphy. You've seen one match the day on Saturday as well, and he was in the team, Danny Murphy in centre midfield. I think I believe he was captain. I believe he was captain. So if you get bonus points for that, then was this the Fulham team that got to the Europa League final? I don't think so. No, no, no. Year before. Yeah, 2011, that I think. Um because Atleti played Inter in the oh no maybe not maybe it was that season I can't remember somebody will know Joe will know when he's listening I'm sure he'll tell me in a few days Um, thank you future Joe for telling me Uh, (laughs) I'm going to go with Damien Duff oh yeah he was there surely (laughs) you hit the post on this one Stan bench because he was actually on the bench he was actually on the bench (laughs) heavy no yeah he did not play on on the left hand side of this one Oh, shit, I was going to guess him as well, Stan. But... I thought you was before when you got a bit excited. I thought oh. the, the Chelsea roots would make you guess him. Oh, I was close. But I'm going. I'm trying to use my head here. Bobby Zamora. He's a man who likes to use his head. Um, Bobby Zamora is correct. Correct, Amundo. Zamora is right in there. So let's just give a little bit a recap. Do you want a little recap for this one, Stan, or do you want to guess? Yeah, go on for the listeners as well. For the listeners, you've gone for Zamora, one of the strikers, you've got one of them left. 
Four in the midfield, we've got Murphy in the middle, we've got Dempsey on the right, but we're still missing the left-hand side. And then at the back, we've only got Breda Hangland and obviously the keeper to go. So is there another centre-mid partner for Mr Murphy? Of course, of course. It's a 4-4-2. Okay. Right, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go for him. Uh, I'm going to go for a guy who De Gea, Cruyff turned at Old Trafford that season. And it was uh, Mladan Petric, a Croatian striker. It's a very weird and obscure memory. Um, and he didn't serve you well, Stan, because he didn't start this game. You on the bench? I don't have the bench in front of me, but I'm going to say yeah. Yeah, we'll say he is. We'll say he is. We'll say I won't help you like... it, but I'll see the rest of the team until I won't. I like I will after. All right, that's fair. All right. I'll go. Front man, Andy Johnson. I'll tell you what, Cook, your knowledge of Fulham Football Club is spot on today. Fucking hell, was he still there? October 2011, yeah, this. He wasn't only still there, Stan. He's got a bloody hat trick this game. Wow. Right, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna guy. keep going. Sorry, I know I've lost two, so Cook wins. But I'm gonna keep going. I'm a closet Dembele, Fulham fan, me. Closet Fulham. Bruce <laughs> Dembele. Bruce Dembele played on the left side of midfield this game. Just so spot on another guy. Yeah, we'll do it Ooh. together now, Stan. We'll do it together. Yeah. So we need. Right. We need Solid a right. Priority. Ah, keeper, Mark Schwarzer. Mark Schwarzer, yes. Fucking hell. Premier League Chelsea winner, Mark Schwarzer. Chelsea legend. Uh, you know, I remember Fulham had. Philippe Senderos next to Breda Hangland Ooh. at one point. I like that. Is it him? Not in this game. They didn't. Did they have uh, Chris Baird? No. That's who was next. Yeah. That, don't doubt Chris yourself. That, that's who was next to Breda Hangland. So we're missing now. Is it a pair of fullbacks? And a centre midfielder. John Anarisa. John Anarisa, yeah. And a um, little clue. She has the same coloured hair. Sidwell. Oh, shit. Sidwell. Oh, yeah. no, I got it right. <laughs> yes. That was racist then, or gingiest. So we got the right back. We've got, we've got the right back to go. I'll be honest with you, I don't know who this player is. Oh, oh is it? Oh, no. Harrow was at West Brom, wasn't it? Can we have the country? But, yeah, where's he from? I can certainly Google the country for you right or, now. Or is he just not English? Is that? Is that? He is from Czech Republic. He played for Juventus at one point. Oh, uh, Grigera. Grigera, yeah. I don't know who he is. Nice, Stan. Can't remember that match attacks. <laughs> Grigera, yeah, he did. He did. How, how many did you get right then, Stan? <laughs> uh, I believe Stan four. heated up. I believe Stan heated up when the game had gone. He's one of them kind of players. But when the pressure <laughs> was on, Cookie was there, I'll say it. I mean, Steve Petrich was on the bench. What game was it, Jim? Fulham 6, QPR nil. I can, I can find it for you. I'm, I'm just happy how much my photographic no, memory served me. Definitely there that season. As if Andy Johnson was still it playing. Wasn't, in the it wasn't the part. season he won the Europa League. Because, well, we got to the final because Martin Yol was the manager. Heavy throwback, Martin Yol. Spurs legend. All right, before we move on, guys, a little low down on that 11 if you're um, so I'm ticking them off. I know you are. Um, so the Fulham team that beat six, QPR 6-0, um, Martin Yall in charge, we've um, recently learned. Mark Schwarzer in goal. Grigera, a right back. Cinema Pernov, Chris Burden, Breda Hangland. John Anarisa, a left back. Going down his left-hand side, there was Moussa Dembele um, in the middle. Danny Murphy, captain of the side with Steve Sidwell next to him. Clint Dempsey on the right. Scored this game. Um, Bobby Zamora, former playoff hero for um, not Fulham. For QPR, actually, which is it's the way things work. Um, and Andy Johnson, who got a hat trick on the day. Um, what a team, what a performance. Maybe they'll win 6 0 again next year and we'll do it again. Okay, welcome back, listeners. It is that time where we tell you what your team needs and what a few other teams need in this January window. Obviously, it's not the easiest window to get some business done, but me, Stan and Jim have been assigned a certain amount of teams in the Pren, completely at random, thanks to Stan. And we're going to tell you what they need and realistically, who slash what position they need. So I'm going to start off with Manchester City. I feel like the obvious choice is to say they need a striker. They've got one coming in. However... I personally think City don't need a thing, Jim. I personally don't think they need a thing just because of how, as we've said on this podcast, how plug and play everyone is. 
five players to my knowledge off the top of my head can play in that false nine role. And I just think that, like I said, because they are so plug and play, it's a bit of a cop-out answer. But personally, I don't think they need everything. Maybe it's a case of if they get a position in, it's just too many chefs in the kitchen. But yeah, don't know what you think, Jim. I'd like your opinion really quick on that. Uh, I don't think the fans would be much appeased in a, in a transfer window. You'll see a new face coming in. So, so a few more shirts. But I think you've got a point. I think City could maybe be worse for a striker. We could only, the only way to find out is to see what happens. Yeah, like I said, it's a bit of a, a, a cop-out answer. But... If I'm if I'm gonna think of another one that I had just at the top of my head, cover left back. I didn't have anyone really in mind. Cover left back. That was another position that I was looking at earlier, Jim. Okay, so we're gonna move on. Which one of you lads has got Liverpool? I have. Um, That's nice. Difficult one. That. Yeah, I know. Put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> um, a difficult one. Um, <laughs> Originally, I was thinking of forwards, but then I thought, actually, they're okay there. It's, I think it's just because Salah and Mane are away that they're a bit thin on the ground at the moment. So, midfield, again, few injury-prone players. Centre-backs are fine. And left-back, we know they've got Robertson and um, Simicass as well. So, I thought Trent needs his own version of Simicass. I thought when Trent when Trent's out, they've got Nico Williams there, maybe. Maybe James Milner, but Nico Williams isn't up to it and James Milner's about 37. So I think they could do with a little bit of cover there. Nothing too major, but if Trent ends up missing, you know, a month or something, uh, you know, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be chewing in some players in there or losing a lot of quality. So a player I think they should go and get is Nusair Mazraoui from Ajax. Six months left on his contract. Uh, definitely wants to leave. He said recently in an interview, there's a 5% chance that he stays uh, at Ajax. Champions League quality fullback probably pretty happy to stay uh, as backup as well can also play on the other side come through an Eric Dag system that's very much that's very similar to, to Klopp's 4-3-3 in terms of the pressing and the verticalities I think he'd fit in well there Wow that could be a big sign next year Stan you might have just done yourself a disservice there by uh, making it feel even better when you listen to this pod um, and I've got Chelsea um so I'm sure Cook will be tuned into this one. I mean, it is pretty obvious, isn't it, when you think about the amount of centre-backs that are out of the contract at the end of this season and a few once-aways and a few Thiago Silva being about 37 himself as well. Um, I think there's... Is it Rudiger, Azpilicueta, Christiansen? All got six months left. We don't know how many are going to stay, but either way, we need centre-backs. The obvious one is Jules Kunde, who they've been previously linked to. But I've also thrown in the Bayern man... Sula, who um, has elected to not sign, um, extend his contract at the club. And, you know, I think it's going to be a miss for Bayern and he's played at top clubs before. So I don't see why another body in that free back. Nicholas Sula would be my second option with Jules Conde being the first. Nice, Jim. I don't know if you saw nice. me wince a bit at Sula there, just because I've seen, I him, a few, I've seen him a few times that I don't really like him. But me, Julie, he's I would like love a, to have. It's like a, a diet. Uh, German Maguire I'd say Sula from when I've seen him big guy not great not great on the turn but comfortable on the ball for a guy cook and very uh, solid airily and won't get bullied so why so the not win- so the wince was justified to a point <laughs> alright sorry, sorry <laughs> <laughs> this is where I get to have a bit of a dig at you now on the sneak because I get into the Manchester United so and now I'm not going to have a dig stand. I'm actually going to do you a solid, which is the first solid I've ever done for Man United. I'm going to sign you a top class centre midfielder, right? And his name's Jordan McGinn. Because he would go in and he would solidify that United midfield. He would put the bite back in that United midfield, freeing up your Pogba's et al. Okay? So John McGinn is the guy United need. Say less. Fair enough. I'd take McSquared in our midfield. That's all I'll say. McScotty too, aren't you? McGinn and McTom. Say less. I won't say anymore. Okay. Is it me? Who's got West Ham? West Ham. Yes, it is, because it's always me after you. So I've got West Ham. So, I've gone for the forward, because we all know they've only got Antonio after they sold Sebastian Allaire to Ajax, who's doing very well. And I've gone for Emmanuel Dennis, pour some salt in Watford's wounds. 
after the Afghan dispute, he's, he's sure to be a, a little bit peeved. Should we say Watford aren't in a great position for negotiating because of the, the fact where they are in the table? I think Dennis would probably push it through. West Ham are going into the latter stages of the Europa League where we know that squad's going to be stretched. They're still going to want to do things in the Prem as well. So competition and cover for Mikel Antonio, who's, who's you know been brilliant for them over the last season or two. Um, and yeah, solid player, Premier League proven so far this season. I'd chuck a, chuck a bit at Watford and uh, test their resolve. Third manager as well for Dennis this season coming up. He might want to jump and get out of that circus for me. So yeah, Emmanuel Dennis. You'd hardly blame him, would you? You'd hardly blame him. Um, I've got Arsenal. He'll blow West Ham on the team. Um, and I've also gone for a striker because it's pretty obviously when you watch them that um, Lacazette and Abamyank, uh, he passed it now. Um don't even get in the team anymore really that often. And I've gone big, I've gone bold. Um, I was going to go Vlahovic, but I would be lying and saying that I know who he is and I've watched him play football. So I've gone with a man who has recently returned from injury and is very good looking. And that is part of his scouting profile. It's Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Still only 24, would cost you a pretty penny. But his hold-up play would be great. He's great early. Um, he's got another 10 years in him maybe. Um, should be part of the England squad for that a long part of that, if you ask me, the, the way he's going on. And I think it would make an Arsenal team who are, who are known to be kind of a weak, maybe, and are trying to get out of that mindset a bit a bit stronger, give him a bit more bite, and he scores goals. So it's as simple as that. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, put him in, put the creators around him, and he'll get 20 a season easy. Yeah, would lean the line very well. Cool, about you? Yeah, so I've gone... For Tottenham Hotspur, oh, well, I say I've gone for, I've got Tottenham Hotspur, should I say. And this one was a little bit difficult because Tottenham are very lacklustre going forward this season at times, but also very lacklustre at the back. But I settled on the fact that Christian Romero got injured, the big signing from Atalanta, I think he's about 30 summit million, but he's barely featured this season and Spurs need to replace him. And I genuinely think someone of the ilk, just till the end of the season, just someone of, for example, the guy I've chosen is Eric Bailly, literally just until the end of the season. Someone like that. Someone ju- not to save the season, but it's someone who, one, Spurs aren't going to spend any money. It'll be a loan until the end of the season. Or they have to go again into the market and maybe go for someone else. But I think a loan centre-back would be the best for them and Eric Bailly was the only one I could really think of that realistically would may make the jump Nice and straight to me with Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, I think they need a centre half I mean I remember uh, Bruno Far- uh, what's his name Bruno Large Far- Large, Large. Uh, he made a dig at Chelsea when they were kicking off about COVID and he said they've got more centre-backs than I've had available all season or something like that um, so I think he wants a centre-half. I know they've signed that Totti, whatever his name is, or brought him through. Uh, but I think they need another one. And a player I'd be looking at is Nikola Milenkovic of Fiorentina. Uh, six foot four, big guy, big unit, should uh, be able to come straight into the Premier League and deal with the physicality. He's comfortable in a three and in a two and can also play at fullback. He's a nice, versatile player. Only got 18 months on his contract as well. Runs out in June 23. Um, so yeah, I'd be chucking a, a little... A little bit over there to uh, to Florence or wherever the fuck you play in that purple kit and uh, asking a few questions. Um, yeah, I'm on to Brighton and, you know, I think this team has been built really well by Potter. So it's, it's a bit of a tough one. But you know what I have gone with? We were discussing that not long ago how Premier League teams maybe not tapping into championship talent enough and... Maybe the biggest talent in the championship this season is a bit of Chile, a bit of Brent Brereton Diaz, 20 league goals. Um, Neil Mapai, yeah, I mean, he doesn't score every week. I mean, Danny Welbert's getting a bit better. They've just loaned out Aaron Connolly. So I think, I know they've got Modere as well. I think there's room for another striker in there. And I think Ben Brereton Diaz, if Blackburn don't get promoted, will want to move to the Premier League after this season. And I don't know. Brighton and Blackburn have dealt with some players in the past, so maybe a bit of. They've got some good relations there. Uh, so, Leicester, this is interesting. So, 
Obviously, they've signed Patson Dacker from RB Salzburg earlier on in this year. And it's safe to say, lads, that he's stuttered a little bit in replacing Jamie Vardy, uh, Vardy filling them boots. So I think, if not in January, they need to go all out for a striker in the summer, someone who's obviously proven to a point. And I think the striker that they need to go after is Jonathan David, who currently plays for Lille, right? So anyone who watches the French League knows that this guy's a gunman. Okay, so just to pull up his stats while I've got him here. Okay, he's currently the top scorer in Liga, along with Winston Benyeda on 13 goals. He's Canadian. He was the top goal scorer last year and he dragged Lille to a title last year as well. So I think Leicester, if you want someone to replace Vardy, maybe look a little closer to home next time. And Jonathan David is going to make someone, because he is going to leave in the summer, definitely. So he's going to make one team very happy. Right, so Saints, who um, this weekend did the double over City, double draws. Um, and the man who looked very dangerous to me was a Chelsea Loney, Emmanuel Brozier. For his size, was really quick. I was really impressed how he played. It was only the third time him and Shea Adams had started a game together and they both looked really good, really hard working. I think he kind of reminds me in a signing sense for that club as how Carl Walker-Peters, who was a really good sign, and I thought they brought him alone and after a really good season, they, they managed to make that permanent. And I, I think if you read the transfer rumours, a lot, there's a few clubs in West Ham and one of them were sniffing around Brozier and it's, it doesn't surprise you because he's a really good player. So I, I, he would be my pick um, to make the loan a permanent and I think it's just going to be such an easy transition for him because he's had that season there and... And yeah, hopefully they've created that bond, and he wants to he wants to join and play there, and he hopefully get some of the manager for them anyway. Um, I can't imagine too many fans would be upset at that sign if they did make that permanent. I think he's a really good young player. I'd be very upset, Jim, because I want him in our first team. Wow, that's a big call. So maybe mm. maybe I've under, undersold him there. No, oh, no, he's just a quick one on him. He's 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 really good. He did really well at the test last year on loan. And he's doing really well for Saints. Better than I thought he would do for Southampton this year, but that just shows how good he is. Yeah, he's working. He's worked his way into the first team, definitely. He definitely has. So, what's your next one, James? Because I know you rush for time because it's a league debut tonight. Well, it's a big, it's a big, big day, but I won't go into that. Um, Leeds, I've got, and I've got a bit of a striker, but he's not at the club. Uh, we kind of mentioned before how Patrick Bamford list Leeds look a bit toothless and. No one to aim at. And apparently Rodrigo, who came in, he should be replacing really this season, is, is kind of a one to weigh. And obviously clubs like Barca are sniffing around. I don't know where they find the money from nowadays. Um, but with Rodrigo maybe on his way out and Bamford injured. Um, and maybe Bamford isn't good enough when he comes back from injury because there's a lot of question marks about him anyway last season when he was performing. I've gone with uh, a man who performed really well at the Euros and he's performing really well in the Bundesliga this season. Patrick Schick. He's tall, he's tall, he's strong. He can link the play like Bamford. I think he's a really good technical player. And he's a goal scorer. Um, and I, I think he would make that move. I know Leverkusen are doing really well in the, in the Bundesliga, but I just think the premise got such a pull that it's not out of the realms of possibility this signing. Um, might cost you a pretty penny, but yeah, Patrick Schick would be my pick for Leeds. Right, we've got Watford. A lot of Watford chat on the podcast today. Um, they'll be happy. Ellen will be listening. Um I've gone with a position I think they need is central midfielder. When I seen they started Sissoko and Cleverly together in central midfield, I mean, it was pretty obvious to me and, and watching them, it's just pretty obvious that the Burley Premier League players at this point. And I've gone with a centre midfielder who has actually made a few more caps this year than I thought he would have done for Chelsea, Cook. So, Cook um, mm. Lemay's up. And I think he's a really good player, a really, really good player. I, I don't even think he would sign him. I've actually wrote down that it could be maybe a six-month loan and maybe an option to buy at the end or maybe a relegation clause or something. But Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I think he's underutilised at Chelsea and that's not down to the club. I just think they've got so many good players there. I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek is an unfortunate to not play more games in his career and he's gone on loan before a few times. I think he went to Fulham before, did he? And, he went and to Palace. Before that. Yeah. And Palace, yeah. And he did well at both them clubs. So I think going to the World Cup squad, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah I think maybe it's time for him to make a permanent move maybe not this season but the season after whether he wants to join Watford is another question but yeah a really good player and I think he would 
undoubtedly improve that team. If not, it would be the best player for that team. Yeah, Juventus actually inquired about him last week. Um, Fabrizio was saying, but that got rejected. So good luck, Hornets. Yeah, that's what I did. That's why I did write let down loan. I don't actually think Chelsea yeah. would make that move themselves, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. Injuries have hindered him as well as like what you just said. Good personnel. But you got a shoot now, Hammers. I've got a shoot, guys. So happy podding. Happy podding. Oh, hey, good luck. Get some I'm gonna get a few one eighties. Love you and leave you guys. Jim out. Bye. Kisses. Kisses. Right. Yeah. So it's back to me and um I'm on Aston Villa. Now a team that Cook and Jim have already spoken about. Uh, Mr. Gerard, I wasn't here, but I've, I've arrived now. Don't worry. Um, I have player, I think Aston, I think Aston Villa are weakest at centre half. I think both of the centre halves can be improved, but you know, even more so Tyrone Mings, who, who I just think is is a, a calamitous defender at times. <laughs> I think he's liability I don't know how he's the club captain because he's just yeah a bull in a china shop at the best of times really and um, I love a good left footed centre back but so it'll take a lot for me to dislike one and I very much dislike Tyrone Mings I don't think he's any good at all so this is this is quite a big one for Villa if he could get this one over the line probably less likely January but maybe one to look at in the summer and it's Villarreal's Paul Torres now, I know Villa are looking to you know go up in the world with some of the signings. They've been linked to Rodrigo Bentancur. Obviously, they brought in Phil Coutinho. Um, so, yeah, a player I'll be looking at is Paul Torres to slot into that left centre-back position. Very strong on the ball. Uh, starts for Luis Enrique, Spain. Europa League winner for Villarreal last season. Played against Manchester United, of course. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been really impressed with him. He was, he was in our group stage of the Champions League this season, too. Um, they've managed to get through, I think, in second place. Um, so you probably struggle this this window, but he's, he's definitely a player I'd be looking at to level up uh, my defence in the summer. Okay, love that. Paul Torres, a guy linked closely to Manchester United in the summer as well, so a guy that yeah. Stan knows his yeah. shit about. But yeah. a guy I know my shit about, Stan. Yes, I've watched the Fire Nord documentary on Disney+. Plus. Yes, I've kept up to date with them this season. Yes, I've got 20 quid on them to win the Eredivisie. But the Palace signing that I have decided to make for them is Orkun Kocu, who's a 21-year-old midfielder from Turkey that currently plays for Fire Nord. This guy is going to get a move somewhere and this guy is going to be good. Like I said, he's only 21. He's basically Feyenoord's best player other than a player called Sinistera and Brian Linson but he's a centre midfielder box-to-box midfielder and I think with the inevitability of Conor Gallagher leaving I think they need to plan for the future and get someone who's actually going to be there longer than a season so yeah Orkun Kocu for me Feyenoord's own 21 Turkey Nice so back to me Brentford now I saw that Thomas Frank and his assistant had signed a new contract and uh I looked at a few of the comments and a few people were saying brilliant, but let's sign a right back. Even so with Jaden Sancho right on the bench, then even with seventy-two million even pounds, with Jay, even with Jaden Sancho on the bench, even he's that. had the um, the audacity looks to sign a new contract. The audacity, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> but yeah, a few comments were saying, yeah, that's brilliant. Let's sign a right back. So <laughs> Brentford bees, I'm going to give you a right back. His name is James. Tavernier, Tavernier, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Tavernier. So he's 30 years old. He is English, currently playing uh, for Rangers up in Scotland. He's the club captain. He's ready to come back to England, I think. Uh, he'd, be the per- he'd be perfect in that right wing back role for uh, for Franks Brentford. He's a, he's a set piece specialist, which is always good to have in your side. Uh, and last season, he got 10 goals and 11 assists in the league, which is incredible for a right. And he's already got um, 11 assists so far this season so you know he's, he's carrying on with that not stuttered at all I think you bring him in his experience is a leader out there for Rangers I think he's done his time and always played in lower leagues in England but I think going to Rangers has done him a world of good uh, and I think if I'm Brentford I'm, I'm chucking some money towards Rangers who you know there's not a lot of money in the SPL compared to the Premier League anyway so I think you'd definitely be able to coax him out there I think it'd be great for them up and down that right hand side yeah, very interesting signing for Brentford, but also one that I think would work wonders for them, 100%, especially in their system, their money ball system. But be yeah. interesting to see if Stevie brings him to Villa before I'm no stun. 
Very true, yeah. Matty Cash uh, competition, why not? Yeah, 100%. But we're going to talk about a team that's not really competition for their local rivals, and it's Everton. I'm sorry. Sorry, Toffee fans. I'm sorry about that. But it's true. But I'm going to help you with a sign-in that's maybe going to bridge that gap. All right, he's not. He's not going to do that. But he's going to. He's going to help you. He's going to help you. This guy is a guy who's. The, let's just say the highs are high and the lows are low. Okay, he started off balling at Benfica, got his big move to Bayern, went on loan to Swansea, famously passed it to an advertising board, and then went to Lille and revitalised his career. So Evertonians, the player that I think you need to sign in January or the summer is Renato Sanchez. He will go for dirt cheap as they have a gentleman's agreement that he can go for about 30 million euros because it was seen that, yeah, it is going to be a stepping stone move. Basically, he's done a Gareth Bale on him. He's trained with him for a year just to, just to get a move. But in reality, it's two years for Renato Sanchez. I think that it'll be a really good signing and Everton is screaming out for a midfielder, especially one of his ilk. So yeah, Renato Sanchez. Lovely. I'm going to go to Norwich because unfortunately, Everton fans, you might have noticed we're going down in the table and <laughs> after Everton, it is Norwich. So that's not a good moment for you guys. Now, Norwich is a difficult one for me because I had kind of written them off. Um, but I think they, they could still be in there. I know we've already mentioned it uh, about Dean Smith. And, you know, if he does do that, then he could probably say he's been manager of the season. So a player I've looked at, um, did a little bit of research. Um, and it is a youngish player, 21 years old. And he's a forward for Nice. And he's called Amin Guiri. Uh, he's got 17 goals and assists so far this season in 18.5 worth of 90s in minutes. So 1,700 minutes, that's about 18 and a half games. So he's almost on a goal or an assist every single game. Like I say, he plays for Nice, who have got a little bit of money. But I think if Norwich came calling, I think he's definitely worth at that age taking a risk on him, bringing some of those goals across. Because at the end of the day, if Norwich are going to stay up, they're going to need to add more goals to the side. They're almost pretty much dependent on, on Timu Pucky. Josh Sargent hopefully can come in. I know he scored a brace the other night, but I think it's well worth taking a risk on this lad who's, like I say, 21 years old, doing really well for Nice in France. Uh, if you can try and bring him across, I mean, worse comes to worse. Uh, you know, you sell him in a few years. He's got age on his side. Uh, but I think bringing in somebody in like that who's doing well in the European League is well worth the risk. Uh, for Norwich and if not you go down to the championship and he, he fires you straight back up so yeah I'd be looking at somebody like that who's doing well in a foreign league youngish so you've got that resale or if they smash it you know you can sell him and get some money from a big club like they did with Buendia uh, I'd, I'd be looking for that kind of guy and, and his name popped up for me when I was looking so yeah I mean Guerrero from Nice remember the name <laughs> <laughs> okay last but by no means least, I'm going to take us to Burnley. All right. Jim mentioned before they've lost Chris Wood, which is a huge loss for Burnley. Huge source of their goals. I think it was about, I think, was it 40% of Burnley's goals were from him over the past two seasons, something mad like that. But they've obviously had his buyout clause activated through no fault of their own. It's not like Burnley have sold him. They had no choice in the matter. It was activated 25 million. But Burnley, you've been taken over. Remember this. You need to splash some of that cash. It's all well and good by Max Corne, but you need to replace Woody. And the guy that is going to replace Woody is Alexander Mitrovic. Because, yeah, yeah. Stan, he has 27 goals in 25 games in the championship this season under Marco Silva. Jim said before, we don't really buy from the champ, but imagine this guy with the amount of balls that come in the box from Burnley. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at you look at. Obviously, people will say he didn't do it for Newcastle and Fulham, but yeah. Fulham played a certain way that didn't suit Mitrovic in the Premier League. You can get away with it in the Championship because you know the defenders are of a lesser level. And Newcastle again want to play in a certain way, but Burnley are happy to get the balls wide and, and use set pieces, uh, use your crosses from deep, and, and you know he'll have a, he'll have a partner up there with him. He'll be up there with Ashley Barnes or whoever, Matej Vidra. So uh, hopefully, he can get a nice connection with them, and I think. I definitely think Mitchell, somebody actually mentioned that to me today at work and I thought that would be a brilliant sign and if they could get that over the line and like you say, they've got 25 million for Woods to, to stick, you know, a, a decent chunk of that over Fulham's way and I think they'd be tempted to be honest. So that's a great shout for me, Cook. 
No, oh, thanks, man. You know what I'm saying? You gotta let that feeling feel good. I ain't gonna keep playing with y'all. Man, let me hear it, man. Not like I was before, though. Hey, <laughs> Hello, I am back. Oh, it's, been, it's been a while and I've waited till Cookie's on his own. I was hiding in the corner, <laughs> waiting for Jim to go to darts. And I'm back with a fact because I am the fact bastard, not the fat bastard. As Royal Mail keeps sending me letters saying, learn my fucking name. What's he got in? Anyway, I've got a question for you, Cook, and I'm not going to go away until you get it right. Oh, shit. The question is, there have only been two Premier League games in which two hat-tricks were scored. One of them was Wigan-Blackburn in 2007, and one of them was Arsenal-Southampton in 2003. There's four players, two in the Blackburn Wigan game and two in the Arsenal Southampton game. So we'll start off with the Wigan Blackburn game, 2007. I've given you the year so you can get closer to the answers, you pig. Henri Camera. No, neither of them. Oh, oh, we just. Oh no, Henri Camera. No. Jason oh, Roberts. You're Henri. No. Fuck. Um, bloody hell, six. Uh, 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 we'll go for. I'm going to speak normally, by the way, because it gives me a sore throat. Yeah. So it, the game finished five three uh, to Wigan. Two thousand seven. Two hat tricks. Hmm. There's only two games when this has happened. Two hat-tricks. two different players. Well, obviously, if it's one player getting two hat tricks, I'm fair fucked because that's six goals. But two different players. Okay. They don't necessarily have to be on opposite sides. They can be on the same team as well. Although this one, they are opposite sides, I'll give you. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go for David Bentley. No. (sighs) They're both strikers. Okay, Roque Santa Cruz. Roque Santa Cruz, well done. Got a hat trick for Blackburn that day. You both netted three times. Didn't get four or five. Decent. Now the takes uh, one. And the other one for Wigan, striker. So we said Roberts. We said a more, um, had a more successful family member, should we say. He was also a striker. Played for bigger clubs and, and got England caps and things like that. Really? I think they're related. I think they might be cousins. He was number seven at Wigan, if I remember correctly. Around the time when they had Marlon King, Emil Heskey. Agahawa, I think, players like that. The only one I can remember number seven from that era was fucking Gary Gary Teal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Um, His initials are MB. MB? Michael Brown? (laughs) No, he was a striker. He probably played in the same team, actually. Um, Marcus is his first name. Oh, Marcus Ben. Marcus Ben. Marcus Ben. Fucking hell. Three goals for Marcus Bent. Three goals. Marcus Rocky Bent Santa Cruz. is one of them guys who you just forget ever played football ever. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's related to Darren Bent. Somebody will have to let us know. I think the cousins. And Jason. Um, and Jason. Yes, of course. And my dick is. Anyway, we'll have to go to Arsenal Southampton. 2003. <laughs> 2003, Arsenal 6-1 demolition of Southampton. So, obviously, Southampton didn't get a hat-trick. So, these are both Arsenal players. Henry. No. Burkamp. No. Robert Perez. Yes. He got one. Now, the other player was a youth player who did. So, he was a youth player at the time, although maybe you wouldn't. Well, if you were thinking of this guy, you you probably wouldn't think he played for uh, Arsenal. He's also, I think he also came up through at Birmingham. Jermaine Pennant. Jermaine Pennant. So, yeah, he came through at Arsenal. I'm guessing he went to Birmingham shortly after and then properly pushed through there. So, Robert Perez, Jermaine Pennant, hat-trick each, 6-1 demolition of Southampton in 2003. <laughs> oh, I'm melting. Oh, no, you got the answer right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Get out, you cunt. Okay, listeners, I hate to say it, but it's the shittest part of the podcast. It's also the time where I can tell you to find us when we ain't making these extremely good podcasts. So if you want to follow us on our social media, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle cookiepodcast1. That's cookiepodcast, followed by the number one. We are also on YouTube, just searching. That's the way the cookie crumbles. We're there in clip form if you don't have time to listen to the whole podcast. Give us a five-star review on Apple Pods, Spotify, or our host platform, Anchor FM. Really helps the lads if you give us a five-star even if you thought it was shit, give us a fucking five star. Don't be tight. It's just been Christmas and it's nearly end of January. So we need all the love we can get, Stan, don't we? Yeah, 100%. New year, new you. New year, new podcast, new five star review. That's what we say. Yes. And like we mentioned the other week, Spotify now offer the five star review on podcast. That only started happening a few weeks ago. So wherever you get your pods, give us a five star, even if you fucking hated it, because we greatly appreciate it. So, Stan, it's been episode 128 of the podcast, and that's the way the cookie crumbles. See you there.